0: talking about it this is hamilton today with scott thompson on 900 chml
1: this is producer will erskine not scott's son kurt his dad made him watch the debate last night best sleep the kid has had in years ted michaels and lisa paleski are in the news booth and scott thompson is right here hey it's hamilton today here's
0: scott thompson jump into the fun. I'm Scott Thompson. We'd love to hear from you. Ted and Lisa are here. Send us a note via the website. Scott Thompson at 900chml.com. The phone lines are always open. Another jam-packed show coming up, uh, including uh, elections, uh, the two Michaels, uh, a second plane leaving Afghanistan with Canadians on board. Uh, John Iveson going to join us on the campaign trail with Justin Trudeau. And uh, 20 years since the 9-11 uh, tragedy, which, of course, struck the whole world. We'll talk about that coming up in the show. Uh, poll question of the day. Let's start with that. Uh, did Thursday's last night's debate solidify your vote in the federal election? Did you kids watch the debate last night? Ted, Lisa, did you watch?
2: I uh, tuned in and out here on CHML. Uh, I have to admit it was a li- it went a little late. and I- My attention is just gone by that point.
0: <laughs> so it uh, didn't make a big impact for you then, Lisa?
2: I mean, I already know who I'm voting for. I already have my plans set in place. So so it
0: didn't move the meter for you. It
2: wasn't going to move anything for me anyway.
0: All right, Ted, you've seen a couple of these. Yep. What are your thoughts? Uh,
3: I actually enjoyed the football game more than I did the debate <laughs> last night.
4: I was watching Thursday
3: Night Football with Al Michaels, who had one of the funniest lines ever on a broadcast, and Chris Collingsworth. So I was going back and forth. But again, like Lisa, I know who I'm voting for. I may do the advance poll thing on Monday already. So I'm, I've, I've, I've decided about two weeks ago I made my decision. You nothing, know, I- nothing has swayed my mind since then
0: you're talking about advanced polls and I just got my card yesterday yep. and obviously advanced polls open today tomorrow the 10th the 11th the 12th and the 13th of September the actual yep. voting day September 20th uh, I started doing this a couple of years ago and man for me this is the way to go have you have either one of you voted in advance polls Ted have you done this in the never, past never Yeah.
2: I swear by it I love it it's so much more relaxing and I mean as a reporter like I remember last election I was out covering you know the, the campaign events here in Hamilton so I was like I knew I was going to be busy on the night so yeah. I might as well do advanced polls it was uh, definitely recommended
0: and you know and, and no matter where you go and usually people are you know it's like five, after 5 o'clock all of a sudden you know there's the mad rush whereas you go in the advanced polls man you're like in and out it is tickety-boo no problems whatsoever uh, so especially in a pandemic uh, I, I think it's the way to go but here's another thing that I've noticed is it doesn't seem to be as convenient this time I'm not sure of you guys like we're in a neighborhood usually you go to the local school now that's not the case it's a bit more of a trek have you noticed that
3: not uh sorry uh, not where i am because i'm in uh, basically if i want to do the advanced poll where i live i can go to what is known as a center mall which yeah. uh the old big target store a massive it's right yeah. in the parking lot of the mall so you just park go in lots of room out see you later
2: yeah, I have to go a little further for mine because it is normally in a school. But again, I think that's because of COVID. You know, they yeah. want to keep the people coming in and out to a minimum because schools, yeah. you know, full of kids who can't get the vaccine
0: yet. Obviously, that's the reason they want to keep people out of the schools. That for sh- that's for sure. John is writing, just letting you know that the Binbrook advanced polls have been lined up throughout the day. Uh, we waited outside for half an hour before joining another line inside. It's great to see so many people getting out to vote. So, uh, great news. Uh, also, uh, from, uh, from a different John, uh, finished great a- uh, this is in regard to the LRT, finished great asset for the city between now and then Hamilton's hugest dumpster fire. You know how they screw up big projects. Uh, anyway, good news is it's moving forward and, uh, I want to be one of the first on that thing to ding the bell. Uh, all right. Uh, as I mentioned, feel free to jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you. Lots of chatter, uh, especially during an election campaign of where we're going with COVID-19. And uh, and obviously, we are seeing a uptick in cases. What The real number we're watching here is what is going on in the hospitals, in the ICUs. Uh, for a, a local update on what's going on, let's bring in Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, Chief Medical Officer of Health for the City of Hamilton and with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well
5: thanks scott absolutely i hope you are too
0: very well thanks for the time we appreciate it and, and especially on a friday giving us a bit of an update uh, here we spoke last week and i think somebody used the word uh you know epicenter for uh covid being hamilton can you give us any sort of update on that and and, and where we are moving forward
5: yeah absolutely you know when we were looking at it last week we were amongst the top two health units in the province ourselves in windsor in terms of rates of COVID nineteen, we're still high in terms of our rates. There's been a bit of slowing this past weekend, which is a good thing. Um, but we'll, you know, be holding on to see what comes out of all the activities people have done at the end of summer and over the long weekend before we, you know, really call these trends uh, something that that is sticking. Uh, we're sitting right now at about sixty-five cases per hundred thousand per week. And uh, we still are having a number of outbreaks, 13 outbreaks today that are active, continuing to see those as well in workplaces, um, unfortunately in our shelters. And, of course, we have seen them in daycare centres for some time because kids can't be vaccinated, of course, and unfortunately have had our first outbreak in the schools. So with kids going back to school and all of the things going on, vaccination, of course, is our best bet, but continuing to follow public health measures is really important, too, like masking when you're indoors Staying home with your sick when you're sick, all of those sorts of things.
0: As you mentioned, obviously coming back from summer and Labor Day and such, uh, and the beginning of school, everybody's been pretty focused on that. Uh, that being said, Doctor, do you think this and, and sort of this change in season will make people reexamine this and think, well, you know, we're going indoors. Now I should maybe really think about this. Do you think it will, you know, maybe shove those ones that are that need a little bit of a push over the line?
5: It's a great point, Scott. You know, as we look into the fall and what it means for it, definitely that coming back indoors has been something that's had us all concerned in terms of what it's going to mean for COVID, because we know then people are closer together. There's more opportunities for transmission when we're um, inside compared with outside. So definitely hoping that many of the things that we see going on right now, whether it's going back to school and wanting to be vaccinated to be back at school to reduce the chance of outbreaks there. Um, whether it's, um, you know, realizing your own risk when you're coming in inside and thinking about whether it's time for you. We know it's really complex when people are thinking through these vaccination decisions for many in terms of what might not uh, be the, or what might get in the way of them getting vaccinated. And so thinking those things through, talking with a family doctor, a trusted friend are all really important things to do as, uh, as people are thinking about the fall and about vaccination.
0: Obviously, doctor, uh, as well as the new cases, uh, or maybe not as much as the new cases, but c- or certainly more than the new cases, the concern is the number in hospital and ICU. What are we seeing there locally and, and even across the province as far as ICU numbers?
5: Yeah, the, in our local area here in Hamilton, we have seen a steady uh, tick of people going into hospital, unfortunately. And we know once they're there, they're um, at uh, a higher risk of staying for longer periods and that especially if they end up in the ICU, that they do tend to stay for longer periods. So we do have some of those pressures here in Hamilton um, because of the case rates we've had. And really, you know, all of the, the healthcare system is really under a lot of pressure uh, right now, both because of the the climbing incidents in, uh, in COVID-19, but also just all the other pressures that happen as we go into fall and, and the fact that from a staffing perspective, You know, it's it's been very challenging to keep staffing levels high. So a lot of pressure being experienced right across the health system, including in our ICUs.
0: Uh, Obviously, another province, but we're hearing in Alberta that uh, they're even cancelling surgeries there because they're starting to see uh, more, uh, more people coming into hospital and into the ICU. Are we in that position or how far are we from that in Ontario?
5: Yeah, in Ontario as a whole, it's, it's definitely different depending on what region you're in. There are, of course, two parts in the west here with both Windsor and ourselves having these higher levels. And so we're uh, particularly under pressure. And this is where the hospitals all come together and look at how to balance the load across um, the different hospitals in the area. So our hospitals are doing that across this Alderman, Norfolk, Hamilton, Niagara, uh Brandt area. As well, we do see um, that they're looking at things like surgical volumes and those sorts of things and the, and what can be held off. And so, you know, unfortunately, we've never gotten to the stage where we could really catch up yet in this pandemic in terms of the, the care that is needed. Um, and it's absolutely one of the things that's on people's minds within the health system is not only, you know, what is the care they need to provide for the people who are coming in today and sick, but also the people that haven't been able to come in to have things that may have been elective to do um, or earlier and are now becoming increasingly severe.
0: Uh, let's talk about the those that are becoming ill. Still, the vast majority are those that are not completely vaccinated. Is that accurate?
5: That's right. You know, 94% of the cases that we've had uh, since December all the way through till now are pe- among people that are unvaccinated. And that continues to be the case when we look at, at the trends So absolutely, if you're vaccinated, you have a significantly lower chance of becoming sick with COVID-19 and uh, even a lesser chance of becoming hospitalized and a very low chance of of going into the ICU, sort of in the 40 times. A higher risk of going to the ICU if you're not vaccinated than if you're vaccinated. And so, you know, we're very much uh, seeing this as both a way to, to stem the number of cases overall, but especially to reduce the severity of COVID-19 on people in our community
0: uh what are you i'm still getting questions about people saying what are we going through all this stuff with vaccines they're still talking about masking we're still doing that it doesn't seem to have helped uh, Now they're, you know people are talking about lockdowns in future which of course that isn't the case at this point what do you say to people that are just confused about the messaging
5: yeah it's been a long pandemic hasn't it you know 18 mm. months now that we've been dealing with this and the advice that people have been getting has been the best that we have based on the science we have but this very new virus really, you know, less than two year old virus, but it has changed over time. And one of those things is about the need for vaccination, but also the need for public health measures to continue to be in place. We do know that that people who are vaccinated can still get infected and can transmit it to others, probably at a lower rate than, um, than those that are unvaccinated. Uh, so that is why that masking is still important both for themselves and so they don't pass it along to anybody else. And remembering that all of our kids under the age of, uh, of 12 can't be vaccinated as well. There's a number of, of people who can't be vaccinated because of, um, some sort of disease they may have, uh, or treatment that they're going through related to a disease. And so they remain susceptible to COVID-19. So, We have a significant part of our population that we're all trying to protect as well from getting infected because they don't even have the chance Hmm. of getting vaccinated.
0: Dr. Elizabeth Richardson with us, Chief Medical Officer of Health for the City of Hamilton, giving us a local update. Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Greatly appreciated. Be well. Have a great weekend.
6: You too, Scott. All of the commitments continue to be a priority. He's going to get to the calls to action. He's going to have transparency. He's going to make targets. He announces things and never delivers. That Mr. Is Trudeau, a prime minister has to, to deliver on the word, kind of not just.
5: That's to not make promises. And, and
6: a b- plan to get there. By the way, Mr. O'Toole, I won't uh, take lessons from you on making promises and not following up when we you, see you you're holding to the gun so. lobby. We're holding to anti-vaxxers. Wow. Uh won't take
0: lessons. He's not taking lessons from a lot of people. He's not gonna take lessons from the Green Leader, uh, the Green Party leader, Anna May Paul. He's not gonna take lessons from O'Toole. Uh, man, uh, you know what? The drag is when you're prime minister. You get it from all angles during a debate, and that's what we saw last night. All right, let's bring in Nick Nanos, chief data scientist and founder of Nanos Research, and he is with us now. Nick, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well, and I bet you're a very busy man today.
4: Oh yeah, you're busy too. There's lots of news on the election, so it's great to join you and your listeners.
0: Oh, it's so. I you know I enjoy watching you and have for years, and uh, always look forward to uh, your opinions. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about last night. Uh, what we saw and the and uh, the debate we saw is that likely to move any of the numbers, change anything, uh, or, or our minds already set here.
4: Scott, are you talking about the demolition derby that we saw last night, <laughs> or
2: something
4: else? That was a political demolition derby. You know, like where the cars, they're already kind of beat up before they go in, right, because we've had the election, and then they start ramming each other, and then there's smoke coming out from under the hood. Lots of drama. (laughs) Lots of oil fire. Everybody loses. Like, the winner (laughs) looks like they've lost because they've just been so damaged. I I think, uh, so I considered it a political demolition derby last night. I watched the whole thing. But... Uh, in fairness to, uh, to the leaders, um, I didn't think there was anyone that was a clear winner or a clear loser. They all got their shots in. They all took their shots. Uh, some were a little more entertaining than others. And, uh, and, you know, it was, it was interesting. I think the format, uh, the format wasn't ideal. And I'll tell you, maybe I'm old school, but I would have liked, uh, the leaders each to have had two minutes to, to make a pitch at the end, like closing remarks. Cause I want to hear the pitch. Like, yeah. What's your vision? Why should we vote for you? And, uh, it was kind of like an abrupt ending it's 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 like a, a fight and someone forgot to ring the bell to tell us that it was over
0: you know i agree with out. that i agree with that 100 percent, nick i mean i thought that at the very end it's over it's over that's it you know we're to we're to go home now so to speak um so yeah it would have been nice to hear a summary from all of them that being said there has been some critique about the debate yep. but i thought uh the women and i guess uh, evan solomon at the end there but i thought the women did a great job of keeping them on point and you know we Remember past debates, that was the big complaint. It was like a free for all. Everybody was talking. You couldn't understand anybody. So I think those moderators did a great job of A, okay, your time is up and A and B, that's not the question. We need to go here. What are your thoughts?
4: And you know, the thing is is that, you know, you don't want to be the moderator. And I'd like to say on no. the record, I never want to be a moderator for any kind of debate. I just like yeah. to say in case that because it's a tough job. Think of it this way. You're dealing with the biggest egos in the country on that yeah. stage. And you have to say, "Listen, your time is up. We're going to the next person." So it's a it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult job, uh, any way you cut it, and and no one's ever going to be happy with the with the moderator.
0: What What can we learn from the overnight numbers? Can you learn uh, much from these overnight numbers, or does this take a while to, to, to sink into people's uh, consciousness? now? Yeah, it
4: takes a, it takes a couple days, and uh, the way I look at it. There are people that watch the debate directly, and that will start to form an opinion. We'll start to capture that in today's, tonight's uh, nightly polling. And then there'll be other people that will tune into your show. They will read the news, watch the stuff on, on uh, you know, watch the news, and then, and then they'll make a decision based on what other people think and and do an analysis. And then after that people will talk to their friends and neighbors, like, did you see this? Did you see that? And and so I would say that we'll probably by Sunday we'll probably uh we'll probably have an understanding as to whether there was a winner or not. And you know, in the in the TVI debate last week, um similar thing happened, right? No one was really sure who won, but then in the overnight numbers, at least for Nano's research, in the three days after the French debate, uh Justin Trudeau's numbers went up. And uh, both Blanchette and uh, Aaron O'Toole's numbers went down uh, coming out of that. And if you remember that's when there was a controversy related to the conservatives and their position on banning assault rifles and their need to do a clarification in their platform. so so it'll take a couple days uh, for us to see whether anyone really gets an advantage out of the out of the debate but Watching the debate last night, I don't know what you thought. I don't think there was anyone that was a clear winner or a clear loser.
0: Yeah, I think your Demo Derby uh, analogy is, is perfect. What about the gender split here? Do you think the, the debate changed any of that? Because there was some, obviously, uh, lots of chat about uh, being a feminist. There was uh, an interesting uh, uh, encounter between Annamie Paul and Justin Trudeau on, on being a feminist and such. And he sort of uh, you, you know went back at her, and, and there was some chatter about that on social media media today do you think this has anything to do with the or the gender split will will increase or decrease here at all
4: well i think um so first of all i remember watching that exchange and you know enemy paul that was a good shot for her to take at justin trudeau and you could tell by the body language of uh of justin trudeau is that as soon as jane philpop and judy jody wilson Raybould's names were said you could see the body language that he it was like it was like Enemy Paul actually punched him. Like you mm. could see him kind of recoil a bit, put his head down when uh when those names were mentioned. But uh the reality is is uh, you know, think of it this way, in the last election we had the black face brown face stuff that Trudeau uh Trudeau had to deal with. And he's he doesn't have anything as bad as that in this particular case, but the thing is is that for women voters, who else are they gonna vote for? Are they gonna vote for mm. Aaron O'Toole? And, you know, our polling suggests that Erin O'Toole does much better among males than women, uh, men than women mm-hmm. in the same way that Justin Trudeau and the Liberals does better among women than men. So I don't think it really moved the dial because there's really not a lot of options, at least if people are thinking about who they want to win the election, because right now the only two parties that can win the election would be either the Conservatives or the Liberals.
0: Uh, Only got about a minute left here, Nick. Um, Still 10 days away, still campaigning to be done. Uh, Is this going to be a minority, or could something wacky happen in the last 10 days?
4: Well, something really wacky would have to happen for there to be a majority government, either conservative or liberal. So I think right now we're cruising to minority government, and it's going to come down to how targeted the campaigns are going to be at getting out their vote.
0: And how happy will people be with that?
4: Oh, well, it just means we'll have another election, except maybe... (laughs) Maybe we'll have an election every year. Why not, eh?
0: That's it. Uh, Nick Nanos with us, Chief Data Scientist and founder of Nanos Research. uh, research. Uh, Nick, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thanks so much. You too. Bye-bye. All right. uh, Clips of the debate last night. Uh, Justin Trudeau, obviously on the defensive, as every incumbent is.
6: Mr. Singh continues to pretend that it makes no difference whether there is a progressive government or a conservative government uh, or or a conservative uh, conservative government. (laughs) We know. Uh, that it makes a huge difference to families, whether they have $10 a day childcare, whether they have a government that has their back, a government that has a plan to move beyond the Harper targets on fighting climate change. Now, Mr. Singh may feel that for the NDP, it makes no difference who forms government, I know for Canadian... Fe- Mr. Gonna, uh, uh, let's bring
0: in Henry Jacek, professor of political science McMaster University, and get his take on uh, what we saw last night. Henry, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Oh, I enjoy being on Hamilton today, yes. Oh, thanks so much, Henry. Uh, you know, are you like me? Do you get a kick out of watching these debates?
1: I do. I mean, it takes a certain amount of endurance. They go on <laughs> for quite a while. Yeah. But the, 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 you're always looking for those nuggets, those highlights where you hear... See the the sharp exchanges, and you see some distance between some of the candidates.
0: So, what was the nugget for you last night? I
1: um, I was I mean I think it was it was this uh, actually the Quebec Bills over there the that they started beating up on Blanchet and the, and and Quebec uh, uh, that the moderator began with, and I, I that was the surprising thing. I I think it's really a, a fe, it's not I mean this is a federal election. Uh, you know debate i, I that's primarily a provincial you know provincial issues they were talking about even though there is a, a federal interest but i it it just uh, you know i just think that was sort of a a tra- you know just it just really you know through a through a, a weasel in among the chickens, I guess is the
0: best way to say it. <laughs> it certainly uh, ended up to be a uh, feisty night, a rough night for the prime minister. But again, yeah. these debates usually are because it's it's usually four against one, right. uh, so to speak. Uh, that being said, is is the prime minister as effective when he's negative and on the on the attack as opposed to sunny ways?
1: Well, I think he. I mean, he doesn't. I, he really has to be defensive in, in some ways. And tell everybody what a great job he's done because he's been there for six years, so he can't just basically you know wing it and talk about all these great aspirations and all the wonderful things he's going to do because he gets attacked as he did. Well, you've been in office for six years and things haven't worked out well, and they 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 make their argument there. He's got to have good arguments that we can understand, saying my six years has actually been six good years for Canadians, and he's he he has to try to you know defend his record that's what he i think what he has to do and make people feel good about what he's done that's uh, and so he he i think that's the that's the only way he ha- he can go and 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 essentially uh, win the election
0: so how did he handle the scrutiny last night
1: i th- i thought he did pretty good i thought he did uh, you know reasonably well i mean he's polished i think he looked good and he sounded authoritative and i think people were probably happy to hear him talk about something other than the virus uh... which of course they got used to him with his daily you know press conferences uh... but i i think really the the person who, who really lucked out in this whole thing was the was the leader of the opposition aaron o'toole who this is the first time that i think probably a lot of people would have seen him uh... and and seen him perform and i think he did a a marvelous job you know he sounded intelligent articulate uh... he seemed like a person who, if we had him as prime minister, we'd probably say, "Well, he's doing a decent job, and he's a we're we have a pr- we're proud Canadians if we have a prime minister like that." But uh, you know, it, it didn't blow away, it, you know Trudeau, because he didn't make Trudeau didn't make any big mistakes. He, he's a veteran, good veteran enough to know that you know when you're playing defense, you get, you can't make a mistake. So he he was very good about that. So the edge was, I think, went to O'Toole, but. Uh, there was not a big gap there to to run for the winning touchdown.
0: Obviously, we certainly know the history of the Greens and where they are in all of this, but Annemie Paul, man, she, uh, she held her own last night.
1: Yeah, well, she's very aggressive. She's a very, very bright person, uh, intelligent, and she's got her... You know her things, her, her own issues to grind, and uh, I just think though that the way she her the way she um, characterizes the issues, I just think probably a lot of people in the country have trouble relating to the way she sees the world, but uh, in, in and sees Canada. But uh, she certainly uh, you know has a has thought through what she wants to say and delivers a strong, powerful message.
0: Fascinating when she mentioned when she mentioned Jody Wilson-Raybould's name and Jane Philpott.
1: Yes, that's right because those, he wa- she wanted people to remember how he treated those two women in his cabinet, and that uh you know that was a strong point for her for sure.
0: what about the debate uh, debate format, Henry? because some complained about it last night. I think we get this after every debate. I remember the last one it was completely out of control, like the last election, uh, seeing them completely out of control, people talking over everybody, and nobody knew what the heck was going on. Uh, now we had some very aggressive moderators that kept the leaders to their time and kept them on topic, yet now we're complaining they didn't have enough time. Well, they wasted too much time. I think they were held to the the format that they all knew this time.
7: Yeah,
1: they did. And quite frankly, I just think when you have five aggressive, intelligent leaders up there who are going to fight for time, you've got to have a moderator who's stronger than any of them. And you've got to have rules that are stronger than any of them. And I, I think you need that to control those five people. So uh, I, I like the format. I recognize uh, oftentimes people were cut off, and I'm sure the people who were unhappy probably had a favorite leader, and they yeah. remember when when their leader was cut off, but they sort of forget about the other people who were cut off at various times as well.
0: What do you expect in the next 10 days, Henry?
1: Well, I just think they they're, they're going to tell us when we follow the leaders around that they're coming. You know, they're they're going to places that are important. And that that will turn the tide for them in terms of doing as best as they can. So I always like to watch and see where where the where the leaders are going and what their final messages are. And I think, you know, may, basically I think there's basically going to be centered in Ontario and British Columbia. I think that's where we're going to see where these people are going. And I think I think those are the two provinces that are going to tell the the tale of what's going to happen, especially Ontario, given the number of seats we have and how close it is in Ontario. So. Um, I just want to hear the messages that they're going to be making for the peop- to the people of Ontario in the last week.
0: Are you expecting another minority or a Hail Mary here to get a majority?
1: I think we're, right now, I don't see anybody getting a majority. I, I think it's going to be a minority, and uh, if anything, it's going to be, in, the, in terms of seats, probably a weaker majority than we've seen uh, uh, that we just came off of. It's, from my point of view, I think Trudeau and his advisors made a big mistake in calling this election, they called it too early and uh i think people are annoyed by that and if they you know they needed to really think about it a little bit more before they went with this so uh so we'll have to see who actually winds up with this but i think it's it's a two-way race for sure in terms of the government and you know maybe some stronger support for the NDP possibly, but uh, it's really a you know a, a really strong contest between the two top uh, parties, and I think uh, they're both very competent leaders, and they're they're both mm. I think going to be fun to watch in the
0: next. Henry Jasic with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Henry, always fun having you on. Be well. We'll chat again.
1: Okay, very good, Scott. The truth
0: and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML poll question of the day, waiting for you on Twitter, and the poll question of t- of the day today, did Thursday's debate solidify your vote? In the federal election, uh, still sitting at the same well, 63% say no. So there you go. Uh, Feel free to offer your opinion. Love to hear from you. And tomorrow morning, it'll be Monday morning now, uh, Monday morning, uh, good morning, uh, good morning, Hamilton, Rick Zamprin will have the results. Uh, Speaking of Rick Zamprin, uh, this morning he was talking with Kevin Newman, who uh, used to be the anchor with Global National. Global National uh, celebrating their 20th anniversary uh, this year. And uh, oddly enough, uh, Kevin had only been on the air. Uh, with this show, Global National, a few days before September 11 hit. And you might remember last year we had Rick Zamprin on along with Roy Green, who went down after uh, 9-11 and broadcast from ground zero um you know just days after the whole thing happened and, and it was just gripping listening to uh, their stories coming up in just a sec we're going to interview uh an RCMP corporal who was in gander Newfoundland when all the planes uh were taken out of the sky and about 38 of them landed there we remember what happened uh and what it was like in those moments so a fascinating story coming up but we want to play you some clips here uh this is Kevin Newman talking with Rick Zamprin earlier uh this morning and just his reaction to what happened
7: yeah no, we had been uh, only on the air for six days uh, as a new national newscast when uh, when 9-11 happened and so we were sort of forged by that event um, we went for 16 hours I had just moved from New York City I was working at the time uh, for ABC News and I had just left New York uh, City to move to Vancouver to start up Global National and then suddenly the city that was my home for a decade had this terrible terrible tragedy and uh you know, I, 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 I used to commute through the Twin Towers, so I understood just um, how busy that was. I knew that there was, for instance, a CIBC office on the floor. I knew there were three levels of, of, um, of stores underneath it, and it was, it was uh, a day that even, you know, I still get that chill up my spine every time I hear about it. We were looking at the Twin Towers, and this was early in the morning. Uh, if you remember, it was like 10 o'clock probably, and, and we saw live uh, people jumping. And um, after that, we never showed it again. But that was happening all morning long. People who were desperate, they couldn't get up, they couldn't get down. Um, they thought the only thing they could do because they were panicked was to go out. And there were a lot of those situations that people never saw. We, we, once we realized what we were showing, we, we stopped it. And that was unbelievable. I'd never imagined that anything like that could ever happen. You have to go back to remember just how crazy that was, that like, no one had ever driven a jetliner into a building before. And once that became possible, anything seemed like it could become possible. So there was a time, and people forget about this, but there was a Korean Airlines jumbo jet that was flying over um, uh, Yukon, and it wasn't answering to the hail. So Canada scrambled some of its uh, CF-18 jets to escort it to try to, get some sort of information. There was a real fear that that jetliner had also been hijacked, that it was part of something, and it was heading towards Vancouver. And I remember talking about that, saying, we're watching it, we don't know what the intent is. And it turned out um, the prime minister at the time, Jean Chrétien, had to make a decision about whether or not to shoot it out of the sky if it continued to not answer. turned out it was just a radio problem. But it could have been so much worse if those orders had been uh, carried out because we couldn't make contact with the jet. There was so much fear in the continent that day.
0: Wow. Kevin Newman, formerly of uh, Global National, talking about broadcasting the day 20 years ago uh, tomorrow. September 11th, uh, everything was unfolding in New York City, and uh, nobody really knew what the heck was going on, where we were going from here uh what happens uh but one of the almost immediate reactions were was to shut down airspace and ground everything that was flying. And as a result of that, uh flights were redirected. Total of thirty-eight airliners carrying more than sixty five hundred passengers uh found shelter at the International Airport in Gander, Newfoundland. Corporal Mike Hall of the RCMP detachment there was there at the time when this all unfolded, and the planes started to arrive? And RCMP Corporal Mike Hall is with us now. Mike, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks very much, Scott. What Good do you think about What do you think about now, twenty years later, on this anniversary of that day?
8: Well, the world has changed a lot, and um, it's um, a time for remembrance and a time for. Uh, Recalling the good as well as what um, evil happened that day.
0: So, uh, and this is really a great story, and obviously, a Broadway play came out of this. How did this day start for you? When did you know something was terribly wrong?
8: Well, it was a pretty, it was a pretty decent uh, sort of day to start off with. Hazy, foggy, warm. Started out a nice day, basically. Uh, I was on day shift that day, and uh, the morning went pretty normally. We had a small strike that uh, played into things later. The schools were on strike, so I uh, patrolled around there. Now, around um, lunchtime, just before lunchtime, myself and um, some of the other uh, NCOs from the detachment were uh, having a coffee. We... um, got a word on uh, one of the uh, NCO's cell phones. He got message that a plane had hit the World Trade Center. And we just carried on um, drinking our coffee and uh, talking about things, taking our coffee break. And then he got another uh, message that another plane had hit the World Trade Center. And um, that really uh, indicated we had an issue. Yeah. So... As people who know Gander are well aware, Gander is its very reason for existence, is as an air, as an airplane town. Um, in the days of um, prop planes, it was the last stop before um, before Europe. It was the place that everybody had to uh, fuel up the aircraft. So it's been, its whole history is based in airplane uh, and aircraft uh, issues and it's uh, built around the airport, so my thought was um, head out to the airport. I know everybody out there, uh, make sure everybody's calm. This is a strange sort of event, and people might be a little worried. But uh, by the time I had uh, got there, planes were already uh, on the ground. Planes, planes had st- started to come in, and um, it was a busy, hectic day from uh, there on.
0: So thirty-eight planes land, uh, and then the people couldn't get off the planes. Explain what unfolded during that day after the planes did land.
8: <laughs> well, the planes were coming in um, every few minutes during the first uh, the first little time there. Um, my uh, my sergeant had uh, said that he could get more manpower, and um, so. Uh, he was getting me uh, a new uh, another member about every uh, ten minutes, but I was getting a plane about every two to four minutes for a while there and um, wanted to uh, I wanted to make sure I had people um, going out and having a visible presence around the aircraft. Mm-hmm. um we'd already touched base with the workers in the airport uh, we had a good relationship with the Service um, the service people in the airport and with the airport administration. And um, it was normal for us in the detachment to visit the airport to uh, be up there uh, several times a day just to, you might say, show the flag. But this time we really needed to show it to the people who were um, in the planes as well. And um, so I assigned uh, a member to each plane. As the member came in, I had them at the beginning just standing outside the the planes in the sunlight because it started hazy, but it got to be quite a bright, sunny day. Um, And um, essentially waiting for for more information. We knew that the uh, airspace over uh, the USA had been shut down, and... um, so everything was being diverted to uh, Gander. So Gander is, well, uh, when you look at a get great circle route, um, Gander is right on the flyway from most of the United States over mm. to Europe. Yeah. And the North Atlantic Control Center um, for NAVCAN is actually located in uh, Gander. So all of the aircraft that fly over the North Atlantic are... Um, are touched by the um, the voices of people in Gander. Um, so we had a we had a situation, you might say.
0: How long did the people remain on the planes, and 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 how did you get them off? What did you? What was the next step?
8: They um, remained on the planes overnight. They didn't uh, leave until the um, the school buses picked them up. The school bus the school bus drivers. Uh, Suspended their strike and came and uh, drove everybody to the um, locations that uh, um, emergency services had uh, Put together the shelters for the um, Roughly 6,500 uh, people that uh, were in those planes uh,
0: Mike, how did you keep those people calm? Did they know what was going on at that point?
8: I think some of them did and um, Some of the planes had access to news feeds, um, satellite news feeds, and I got a little information there. I also got a little information from the flight attendants that some folks were worried. You see, I went out personally and I walked out to each of the um, airliners. That was about 16 miles of walking that day because um, Gander International Airport is a big airport.
0: So, what, what was it like for you to go on those planes? What did you see? You must have just saw fear in people's eyes.
8: Well, I actually went up to the doorways of each of the aircraft, um, spoke with the flight crew. I didn't speak with that, ver- that many of the, um, the passengers. There were only a few of the planes that I actually went on directly. The flight crews were doing amazing work, keeping people happy. And um, I know that there, was, uh, there were quite a few planes where the flight crews really wanted the most important information, which was, what's the number for uh, local pizza in order to mm. um, get pizza brought to the airport? So,
0: so what, how, how did you make those people comfortable that night? So did literally pizzas start arriving? I mean, I, I never thought of that. you got to feed these people.
8: Well beyond a certain point my uh, role uh, shifted from being out on the tarmac and keeping contact with all of the members who were out on the tarmac um, to um, working in the emergency control center of the um, of the airport that was a center where Transport Canada the police the um, Uh, Border services and um, even the officers from the RAF detachment uh, all were together um, getting the latest information and feeding it out to the proper places. But that was over the course of several days.
0: So getting back, getting back, sorry, go ahead, go ahead.
8: On that particular day, the thing was just visibility. Uh, Going up, talking, letting people know that uh, the RCMP. Uh, and canada had uh, had a handle on things
0: so at what point did you realize uh... we got sixty five hundred people here stuck on thirty eight planes we got to do something this isn't going to change for a while we need a plan here Ooh, what what was the process like getting people off those planes
8: i didn't have a lot to do with getting them off the planes the first day my major concern was keeping them on the planes. Um, there was a lot of concern, um, rumors and such that there might be terrorists amongst the people who were passengers. And in one particular plane, the, uh, the flight crews actually were concerned about certain passengers um, whose behavior uh, led the flight crews to think that These were very suspicious uh, people. I went in personally um, and, through translation, uh, was able to uh, allay the fears of um, many of the people.
0: So you had to keep them on that plane for that first day for security reasons?
8: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Wow, it must have been just a logistical nightmare trying to figure out who everybody was and and where they were all from.
8: Well, the airlines were very good about this. Everybody cooperated. Everybody got along on things. Naturally, there were a lot of stresses, but everybody pulled together. That's the important thing. Everybody pulled together.
0: So I believe the airspace was closed, if I remember correctly, for about five days um, so what was Gander, Newfoundland like during that time?
8: <laughs> well, there were a lot of um, visitors, you might say, because once people were off the planes and uh, billeted wherever they were, some in the schools, some in the churches, uh, some in people's homes, not only in Gander but in the surrounding communities as well, um, people were walking up and down the, uh, the streets of uh, Gander they bought pretty much all the underwear in all of the stores because people <laughs> didn't have access to their baggage.
3: Yeah,
8: um, the pizza shops probably made a fortune because everybody was buying pizza.
3: Hmm.
8: The telephone company, um, Bell Alliant put out a um, uh, put out tables with phone access so people could call back home without having to use cellular. And um, it was rather carnival-like in a sober sort of way. Um, But it was unique. I can't describe it any other way.
0: How does Gander look back at this now? After this was all over, after it was done, I mean, my goodness, Gander must have been so proud.
8: Well, they're Newfoundlanders. And hospitality mm. is bred in the bone in yeah. uh, Newfoundland. It's it's a natural way, and indeed, hospitality and courtesy have been hallmarks not merely of Newfoundland but all of Canada. It's something we're known internationally for.
0: What do you think about when you think back at that day?
8: Well. I wish it had never happened, but I'm glad I was able to do my part while it uh, while it was going on.
0: RCMP Corporal Mike Hall has been with us, uh, and Mike was there when uh, 38 uh, airliners with 6,500 passengers on board started landing in Gander, Newfoundland, when the airspace was closed because of 9-11. Mike, if nobody's ever said it, my goodness, you are a hero. What an incredible story, Uh, and thanks so much for sharing it with us, Uh, and, and I'm sure there's memories there that you'll keep forever. Thanks so much for sharing your story, Mike. Thank you, Scott. RCMP Corporal Mike Hall talking about what it was like on September 11th when 38 airliners started landing with 6,500 passengers on board in Gander, Newfoundland, and then the kitchen party started, I guess. All right, uh, debate last night, lots of chatter in regard to Afghanistan and how we should have been focusing on that as opposed to calling another election. Uh, oddly enough, as it's been announced in the last 24 hours, that uh, evacuation flights uh, out of Afghanistan uh, have resumed, and it appears that there are uh, some Canadians on uh, that second plane that has left. Let's bring in Christian Leprec, professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada and the Queens and Queen's University and fellow at the McDonald laurier Institute, also author of the book uh, Intelligence as Democratic Statecraft, published by Oxford University Press. Christian's with us now. Christian, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing
3: well. Good afternoon, Scott. I am indeed.
0: So we understand a second plane has left. There are some Canadians on board there. What can you tell us?
3: Yeah, it appears that uh, a number of nationals are on board. Um, uh, Germans, Americans, Ukrainians, Brits, uh... and it appears that these are tough negotiations i think there's a functional issue here uh... trying to actually coordinate when there's really no effective government in place i mean the taliban have announced some figureheads but uh... the institutions aren't really functioning and so it seems you have to work through intermediaries uh... of qatar and pakistan in order to actually get the word from the top out to the people the airport that these planes can fly out but i think there's also a couple of um, other holdups there. One is that it appears that there's some money changing hands every time the planes leave so that the oh, Taliban are yeah. trying to turn this into a revenue mechanism. And there's also appears to be a bit of hostage diplomacy because uh, not just the Taliban, but it appears that their Pakistani enablers and Qatar are really angling for legitimacy for the Taliban regime that is now in power, and so this international recognition piece that is so important in international relations. And, of course, this is particularly difficult for countries such as Canada, but many of the coalition partners for whom the Taliban and many of their associates, including the Haqqani network, have long been listed terrorist entities. And so um, there's also a legitimation effort, and you can see this in the narratives that uh, the Qatari Foreign Minister, when he was in Islamabad and announced the first plane leaving, talked about uh, regular commercial flights resuming and out of the White House, you heard that these are charter flights, so you can see there's a bit of of the battle of how this is presented uh, to international audiences
0: uh, It seems like there 's a series of issues here, like number one, how do you get these people to the airport? How do you figure out? who gets to get on a plane, and then how do you get clearance for the plane to leave?
3: And you can imagine, you know, just the processes and policies that we have in place when you want to leave Canada, especially during the current pandemic, and you want to fly to another country. Now, imagine trying to do that when you don't really have functioning institutions in place, when many of the people you deal with are effectively illiterate, which is much of the Taliban um, uh, file, much of the Taliban sort of um, foot soldiers. Um, on the ground, and of course, you have to be able to translate what the senior leadership within the Taliban decides into effective outcomes on the ground, and that's not obvious because uh, even just last Friday we had a shootout between two of the Taliban factions in Kabul uh, on differences about how to go about the Panjshir Valley. So uh, when people are resolving their differences about uh, policy uh, by fighting one another uh, with uh, machine guns um, in the same city, uh, you can imagine it might be just a little bit tricky to figure out uh, who actually gets to leave and what documents they need and how do we validate those documents and to make sure that the people who you talked to yesterday who told you that these folks are good to go and these documents are good – that those are also the people who can make good tomorrow on those assurances that they gave mm. you yesterday. Uh,
0: obviously, uh, as you mentioned, figureheads being put in place uh, regarding leadership for the Taliban uh, coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 tomorrow. Is, is all this a coincidence? Uh, how, how will this be reflective of this anniversary?
3: Yeah, I think this is, of course, there's a lot of uh, gut-wrenching here, and I think a lot of questions about, you know, was this really worth the candle, the investment over the last uh, 20 or so years? I mean, in Canada, there's 40,000 soldiers of the Canadian Armed Forces that at one point or another served in the mission to Afghanistan. Uh, Add to that all the treasure, and in the end, after 20 years, this is the outcome that we get. And, you know, I think a lot of people are asking themselves, is that perhaps the outcome we could have got? Uh, within a year of us going there so what were we doing for the other 19 years and I think some hard lessons of course because we're engaged in this type of institution building elsewhere so we need to ask ourselves is there better ways of doing this were we just over ambitious and over aspirational was there too much hubris involved Um, and uh, I think also the Canadian taxpayer asking some very difficult question here of the overall mission um, and given the outcomes that, uh, that, that, that we're getting and look I mean these are all listed terrorist entities that are now in charge of the country. Um, uh, that makes it doubly difficult.
0: Christian Leprac with us, professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and fellow at the McDonnell-Laurie Institute, author of Intelligence as Democratic Statecraft. Uh, Christian, always fascinating. We'll chat again. Thanks so much for your time. Have a great weekend.
3: Thank you, and a great weekend to you and the listeners as well. Take care.
0: All right. Uh, Obviously, a debate last night. There was some chatter about uh, the two Michaels, but as the two Michaels uh, hit the uh, 1,000-day mark uh, last week, uh, it's now been over 1,000 days that uh, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig have been held uh, in china without any sort of uh, uh initially any sort of legal representation or consular service now of course uh, their trials uh proceeding and is this making any hay on the election campaign let's bring in charles burton senior fellow with the center for advancing interests abroad at the uh, at the mcdonald laurie institute and is with us now charles thanks for the time i hope you're well
9: oh uh, hi scott good evening
0: So, uh, obviously, there was some chatter about this on the debate last night. I I believe the Prime Minister, you know, made some comment about you can't just start lobbing tomatoes over there. But is this getting as much attention on the campaign trail as it should be in your mind?
9: No, I don't think there's been much on foreign affairs at all. Um, You know, it really wasn't uh, one of the sub-issues of the uh, current debate. And, you know, this is really a, a problem for our democracy that we're having an election, and there's only one English-language debate. You know, that's probably about three debates too few.
0: Why is that? Why do you on. think that is, Charles?
3: Why?
9: I, I, I think it has to do with uh, issues inside the broadcasters, but they set up this debate consortium, and they've come up with one single debate with, you know, quite a limited uh, agenda. So uh, foreign policy is very important for Canada in a globalizing world. And, you know, we should be uh, getting those issues aired. And the, you know, we got about five minutes on China, and it was necessarily divided up among all of the candidates. And the only one who really wanted to talk about it was Aaron O'Toole. And the prime minister tried to convince us that, uh, you know, his policy is excellent and they're making progress. But uh, as you say, it's more than a 1,000 days that Kovrig and Saver have been stuck in prison hell, and we don't have any indication that any of the political parties have any real commitment to do anything to get the Chinese to release them.
0: It's a very bizarre campaign in the sense that issues like this or issues we were talking about prior to the election campaign have have simply disappeared. Instead, we're talking about things we've been talking about for decades in the same old traditional uh, fare. And, and, and it seems that, that that any of the issues on policy that really should be for uh, at the forefront during an election just haven't made it. I mean, we're talking about, you know, abortion or how many people are getting vaccinated. And it just it just seems to uh, we're creating more divisiveness than uniting.
9: Yeah, I think that, you know, foreign policy is an issue that uh, the new government or, you know, the resumed Trudeau government has to address. And I think a lot of Canadians have been quite unhappy about the way that Trudeau has been dealing with um, China, has been dealing with Afghanistan, has been dealing with our relations with the United States. And, um, you know, we'd like to see uh, some options presented so that people can encourage our politicians to, act better in in canada's interest you know um o'toole had been talking about coming up with an alliance of the anglosphere you know something between canada the u.s and uh, australia and the uk which um would be quite intriguing because it would allow for free movement of labor and and goods and and uh, a security alliance but uh you know in this campaign that's just not something that he's bringing up uh, probably because of the nature of of campaigning where there's really no venue where we're able to get into anything particularly serious, um, you know, beyond saying uh, the Liberals didn't do it properly and the Liberals saying the other guys uh, uh, are incompetent to do it, you know, like, how are we supposed to vote based on that?
0: Uh, how much has the pandemic pushed all of this stuff to the back burner? Because, again, it seems the biggest issue in this election is whether there should have been an election called or not. Uh, you talked about Afghanistan. Uh, has, have we forgotten about China and the two Michaels?
9: I think that's basically it. Um, you know, Canadians certainly are very concerned about um, Michael Kovrick and Michael Saver, and you could see the enormous outpouring of support for them Uh, when we hit the thousand-day mark uh, mark, and there were uh, marches uh, all over the world and particularly in ottawa and the fact that the chinese government was um, complaining that this was somehow or other a violation of diplomatic protocol and a violation of international law suggests to me that where governments have failed ordinary people taking to the streets may be succeeding so you know i think from that point of view canadians want their government to do something here and the government claims that the two Michaels are Canada's number one foreign policy priority. I don't see any evidence of that. I don't think it's even our number one priority with regard to our relations with China. I think what they really are interested is in preserving um trade and and uh, investment opportunities for the Canadian elite, who have a lot of connections with politicians. And uh in terms of the rest of us who just think that Cobra favor being held as an outrage, and Canada to do everything we can to get them out, uh, they, they, they send us uh, excuses. You know, I think it's really at the point where we ought to be sending the Chinese ambassador back to Beijing, withdrawing our ambassador and saying relations are downgraded until you do the right thing and send these two men back.
0: We've only got about 30 seconds left here, Charles, but how are they viewing, how is the Chinese Communist Party viewing this election or is it even on the radar?
9: Oh, I think there's no question that, uh, you know, by a statement by the Chinese ambassador, completely out of protocol, that uh, the Chinese are worried that the Conservatives are going to come into power, as the Conservatives have a very large section on China in their election platform, and none of it would be anything that people in Beijing would like. The other parties, I think, don't really want to talk about it, so... You know, they, the 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 Chinese Communist Party favors the Liberal Party. I, you know, I, I I'm not I I wouldn't take that as anything particularly against the Liberal Party, but you know, that's the party that they feel will be the best for their own interests. And I think that there have been accusations of some Chinese interference in trying to get certain candidates defeated, candidates who have been active in promoting um, mm. the, the Uyghur genocide uh, identification and calling for foreign um, agents, registry acts, and so on, all sorts of things that China would not like to see.
0: Charles Burton with us, senior fellow with the Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad at the uh, McDonald laurier Institute, talking about uh, this election and China and the two Michaels. Charles, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Good night. Take care. You too. If you're all about drama and gossip, well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. John Iverson is with us from the National Post. He is on the campaign trail with Justin Trudeau, who was in Hamilton today. Uh, Good afternoon, John Iverson. How are you doing today? Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So what was it like on the campaign trail in Hamilton uh, with the Prime Minister today? Was there any protesting?
10: Uh, no protest. We were doing a, an event at uh, Soccer World, which I think is on Fred Street, and uh, it was pretty heavy security and obviously an indoor venue. So, uh, so nothing yet. But I suspect we will see some uh, protests later on today. We're heading towards, I think, Whitby, Ontario, for a, a rally this evening.
0: Uh, do you think the protests are hurting or helping the Prime Minister, John?
10: Oh, her- uh, helping him, definitely helping him. I mean, the uh, Liberal MP told me that, that the door uh, most people they talk to, so, you know, these, these are unacceptable protests, you can't have violence on the campaign trail, you can't have people throwing stuff, and therefore they're more likely to vote for Trudeau than not.
0: Do they blame the opposition for the protesters?
10: I don't think so. I mean, you know, it's pretty clear uh, that, uh, that uh, Aaron O'Toole has condemned these protests. I mean, I was on the Liberal bus when the first protest happened in Nobleton, and then the one in Bolton. And uh, in between those two events, the Conservatives put out a statement condemning uh, that kind of anti-democratic tactic. So it's pretty clear that the Conservatives are not, um, not organising it. I don't think that they're particularly benefiting from it either. I mean, if you're anti-vax, then Aaron Tooth's position really is not to you either. Uh, Your choice is pretty much limited to Maxime Bernier's People's Party.
0: Uh, that being said, is this helping Maxine Bernier's People's Party? Obviously, we've seen him uh, go up on the polls. Does he does he condone this sort of behavior?
10: Well, I'm not sure he condones it, but he uh, he hasn't condemned it. And I mean, I think he um, is pretty explicit in the fact that uh, uh, he thinks it's wrong to for, uh, to have mandatory vaccination. For example, uh, they are definitely benefiting. I mean, I think we're going to all be surprised by how well they do in this election. I'm not sure that. People, when they're asked by polls, are you going to vote BBC, are, are comfortable saying that they are. But I you know, I suspect that some of these polls that are showing them up around 8 or 9 percent are could well be accurate. And if they, if they are accurate, and that's bad news for Aaron O'Toole, because he's, uh, while I think Maxine is is growing uh, his voter base, I think there are people who maybe didn't vote before or who were non part of that. But there are a good number of conservatives in there too. I would
0: think. So, do you think the conservatives are forced with, or could be forced with, a uh, a split vote, just the same way the NDP and the Liberals are?
10: Yeah, I think the numbers are nowhere close to to the NDP Liberal switchers. I mean, I think that that is really the story of this campaign. If the uh, if the Liberals can scare NDP voters into Liberal ranks, and I call it project fear, uh, we've seen it. It's a movie we've seen time and time again, and if we have managed to do it again, um, you know, that's kind of the election. I mean, it, I think uh, one that I saw estimated that one in five voters fits in that category of Liberal NDP sw- uh, switcher. You know, the, the, the number of uh, Conservative PPC switchers will be uh, minuscule in comparison, but but obviously it's going to hurt, uh, hurt the Conservatives at the margins, and just as uh, it will hurt the Liberals at the margins if the NDP vote stays home.
0: Uh, obviously, a much different campaign for Justin Trudeau uh, this time out. Sunnyways, the first time, uh, it, it seems a bit more negative, a bit more aggressive, uh, more on the attack. Is that working for the Prime Minister?
10: Well, I think he, I don't think he had much choice because the um, the party was in freefall. The time for change number was rising steadily. And nothing was working for the liberals, and I think that's when you saw the liberals go negative over gun control. And I think they did get, they did manage to arrest uh, the uh, slip in their own their own vote and the rise in the conservative vote. I mean, the conservatives haven't risen in fact; it's have kind of been pegged back a little bit in the last uh, some of the last polling. So, you know, going negative, it's, everybody condemns it. But and I think that this uh, this idea of scaring New uh, Democrat voters are over a, a, a conservative leader who is who is who has people in his caucus who are uh, anti-choice, uh, who are in favour of assault weapons. All these things are, are obviously an anathema to progressive voters. And that's what Trudeau is now relying on. There's very little, other than perhaps childcare. And today he talked about his healthcare policy. But, but it's, it's far more about what Aaron O'Toole would do to Canada and what uh, a re elected Justin Trudeau would do.
0: Are you surprised, John, that especially in the debate last night, we kept coming back to why are we holding an election in the middle of a global pandemic? Many thought this would subside after the election was called. Most people don't want elections anyway. However, it has yeah. seemed to be a sticking point here. Why do you think that is?
10: Well, I think the contrast was so great, you know, that, that, that it was clearly uh, uh, Trudeau's. Own vaulting ambition to get his majority back, and it contrasted so greatly with the idea that uh, uh, we had it we were in the middle of a pandemic that Kabul fell the day that he called the election, and there was all these uh, all of Canada's allies in Afghanistan who couldn't get out. You know, these were life and death uh, events, pretty consequential events, and yet we were having a, an election really over over nothing. I mean, you know. While Trudeau was touting the childcare plan today, Jagmeet uh, Singh had made clear that he would have supported that program even without an election. So, you know, it comes back to that question, why are we in an election? If Trudeau keeps making out there are monumental choices between the, the different parties. When you look at the platform, there really is not that much disagreement between what uh, Singh would propose, what O'Toole would propose and what, uh, what Trudeau would propose.
0: Uh, The polls are showing both parties virtually neck and neck. Do you think that's what we'll see coming out of the other end of this September 20th, John? Or do you think that uh, someone will break ahead?
10: Well, the debates are generally, you know, you don't see the typical knockout blow, but you do see movement after the debates. And it was not a great night for Justin Trudeau last night. You know, there were four other party leaders pretty much ganging up on him. And he looked a little bit, uh, it's not desperate, certainly. He realised the, the urgency of the situation, and he you know he's trying to rattle off his attack points, um, just as uh, uh, you know it was a very rigid debate format, which didn't didn't help him. But you know he, he was trying to get five points, and, and when there was barely time for one, so I don't think it was a great night for him. And he realize when you watch him today, you could you get that sense that there is this sense that it, it might all be slipping away, so you better work extra hard and and perhaps double down. On some of these uh, attacks he's making on the
0: two, John Iverson has been with us from the National Post. You can read him there on the campaign trail with Justin Trudeau. John, thanks for the time, much appreciated. Be well. Thanks a lot. All the best. That is a wrap for the show at six twenty eight. The tie Cats and Argos coming up next. The pre game show. Thanks for listening, As always greatly appreciated. Uh, thanks to Will and Ted and Lisa for all being a part of this. Uh, as we do on Hamilton today, we give you the customer. The listener, or in this case Radley, the last word.
4: Hey Thompson, this Radley. Why'd you leave me out today? I was sitting here waiting for my call. What's going on?